Welcome to Hello from the Other Side, where we validate how our loved ones on the other side are always with us, ready to help when called on. Here's your host, psychic, medium, and best-selling author of There Is No Death, Only Life, Maria Verdeshi. Hi, I'm Maria Verdeshi, and I am here with Thomas John today. I'm so excited. He's a global psychic and medium sensation who has impressed audience with his accurate messages from the other side and is constantly in high demand with influences and those at crossroads in their life. Thomas John is amazing. And I always say to everyone and other mediums always say to me, oh my God, he's the best with names. I'm sorry if I hurt anyone's feelings, but I don't know any other medium that does names like Thomas does and so accurately. And it's just a fact. Thomas has also been a trusted advisor to celebrities around the country, including Courtney Cox, Sarah Gilbert, Goldie Hawn. Thomas John also aired his first television show, Seatbelt Psychic on Lifetime 2018. And season two came out. You should watch both. Both are amazing. And his first novel, Never Argue with a Dead Person, True and Unbelievable Stories from the Other Side, published in 2015. Awesome book. It's a must read on your list. And ta-da, Thomas John, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for spending time with me today and taking time out of your day to let me interview you for my podcast. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Now, people ask me, and I know people want to know, so how old were you when you kind of said, huh, I'm hearing something or seeing something? Well, I mean, I think when I was about three and four years old, I do remember seeing spirits and being able to communicate with them. I really had no recollection that that was, I mean, I didn't have any awareness that there was something about that that was unique or something about that that was different. It was what it was. And then over time, as I got older, that's when I think I realized like, wow, I do have some sort of ability and some people don't have this. And that happened for me more later in life as I got older. And how, because I'm always curious about this too, just because of my own situation, maybe. How did your family members handle it? when you were three or four, if you even went and said, hey, I just saw whoever or I'm hearing something, how did they handle that? Like, how did your mom handle it? My parents were sort of the traditional Catholic, Irish Catholic people. My dad was actually very abusive type of person, unfortunately. And so for him, it was very much a trigger because he always wanted to be in control of everything. So that freaked him out. For my mom, it also made her very fearful, very nervous, very, oh my God. So it certainly wasn't a comfortable environment to grow up in. It certainly wasn't embraced. Luckily, I did have some people in my life that sort of did embrace my imagination and that type of thinking and stuff, but it took a while for it to kind of get there. Perfect. And I know you've got a great connection with your grandmother. Would she have been one of the first ones that came to you 
So my grandfather actually on my father's side was the first person that actually came to me. I did not know him in life, but he started to come to me and visit me and tell me things. And over time, it became that I would say things, I would know things, I would tell my, you know, I remember one time I told my dad, oh, there's a trunk upstairs from your great-grandparents, and he didn't even know that it had been up there. And I told him about a special thing that had happened when my father was in college. He had actually gotten in trouble for something with marijuana, and he ended up actually my grandfather kind of bailed him out of it and stuff. And it was something that even my grandmother didn't know. So that was my first visitation from spirit was actually my grandfather. Yes. Wow. That's incredible. Now let's go into names. You are amazing with names. You are known for names for all the names that you get. And it's kind of almost like these names that go down the family tree. How did that, if this question kind of makes sense, how did that start? And is there something that you did to help that process along? Or is it just kind of like, that's one of my natural things is getting names? Well, I think names, some people, it's interesting with names, some people get nervous about them, some people get scared about them, some people don't know. So it's interesting with names because with names, they're only one piece of evidence. And so I try to look at it as that. It's really only one piece of evidence. It's only one piece of information. And there's a lot of ways spirit can come through. Names are good, obviously, because they're a way for somebody to make an immediate connection without a doubt. Names are also challenging because there's a lot of common names. There's names that are passed down. Also, in this day and age that we live in, People are sometimes sensitive to the fact of, well, you can find out people's names sometimes. So it can be a great piece of evidence. It can be a problematic piece of evidence. So I think it just depends. I get nicknames. I'll get full names. I've always been, for whatever reason, obsessed with names. I have no idea really why, but I was. I think I've told you this story before, but when I was a little boy and we had to do reading class, I would bring a baby book name for reading time after recess. You come back and, you know, kids were reading like G.I. Joe and Goosebumps. And here I am with the baby name book to the point where my fourth grade teacher called my mom and said, you know, we have a little bit of a problem. Tommy is reading the baby name book and we really would like him to read a book. So I've always been drawn to names. I don't know why. I can go to a party with 30 people and I can tell you the first name of everybody that was there a year later, but I can't tell you one thing that they said, what they were wearing, what they talked about, what I ate, if I had fun. I don't remember anything about it. My partner, Raymond, he's the total opposite. He can remember every color, what everybody was doing, what everybody was saying. So I think it's just the way your brain works. So I always tell people to lean into what they are good at. So if you are a musician and then you become a medium, like my colleague and friend Hollister Rand, she comes from a musical family. My colleague Suzanne Northrup, she plays music. So they'll get songs a lot. They'll get music sometimes. I don't really get that type of stuff because I don't have any musical real connections. So It's a different way of thinking. 
but it can be really powerful and meaningful and it's a great way to connect to spirit. And yeah, names are great. Oh, absolutely. I love that story too of the baby name book. I can just imagine your mom's face. Oh, okay. (laughs) She's getting that call from the fourth grade teacher. So I also think that you are a fabulous teacher. And I can't wait for this forensic class. I have been telling everybody about your upcoming forensic class. I am so excited because it's something that you don't really see for a class. And I have been taking classes with you for at least nine years. And I've always recommended your classes to everybody. I think you're such a good teacher. You're so grounded and so down to earth with your teaching that I just kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit. And I wanted to talk about your upcoming forensic class, if you have any other upcoming classes, and what got you to start teaching? Like, what was the day where you said, you know what, I'm going to start teaching. This is going to be good. Well, you know, I always think that you should teach based on what you're good at and what you're drawn to and what you like. And there's only so many things that you can be good at. For me, teaching, I always tend to be an explainer. And I've always had a way, for whatever reason, I think it's because of my ADD. Actually, I have really bad ADD. So one of the things that I've had to work on is I literally in my life have told people, and I'll have this in full conversation, people look like I'm crazy, but I will literally have to tell people, can you explain that to me like I'm three years old? Because I don't understand anything that you just said. Even when people are like, talking about things on like, if I go to a restaurant and I'm like, oh, what is this? And they explain it. I'm like, okay, I need you to slow that down and tell me it in little pieces so I can understand it. So I've had to do that with myself. So I think that it makes me a good teacher because I really do have a way of breaking everything down. And really mediumship is based on a few basic concepts. And then it's just about expanding that and refining that. And I also tell people too, you know, to not rush this process. There are exceptions to every rule, but most people should be in development for at least a decade before they're giving readings. And development, I use that term loosely. That could be classes, that could be reading books, that could be in workshops. For me, I had my spiritual awakening really around the year 2003, and that's when I started studying, learning. And I took time off and I took periods off and things, but that's when I really had my first awakening. And then I kind of got off my path for a while and I kind of came back on my path in 2009. I was also a natural born medium. So I also came into this world, my mediumship was fully developed and open. I mean, I was seeing spirit in the room. So sometimes if you have that, you know, you don't need as much time in development, but you still need the basics of development. So you should never rush the process of development. And that's why I love to teach because I run into people who will take classes with people that I actually do know and respect. And they're passing out certificates. They're telling people that they're a medium. And these people have not really done what I believe is the proper training and stuff. So I tend to push people. You know, I tend to really expect perfection, you know, and I expect my students to, not perfection, but I expect them to do their best, you know. 
I expect them to not have excuses. I expect them to lean into things rather than come to things with fear. And so I'm drawn to students that are willing to kind of take that next step, willing to push themselves, step outside of their comfort zone. The forensic mediumship course will be the first time I'm teaching it. It may be the last time I'm teaching it too, because it's more of an elective type of course. It's not really a course that a lot of people can take. I definitely won't teach it again soon. It'll be probably a couple of years if I do teach it again. But it's really about using, you have to have already taken basic psychic development. So if you take it like if somebody from your world has trained with you psychic development, it doesn't have to be with me, but they have to know the basics of Claire's, things like that, because we're already going to start the ground running with that. So that's going to be really important. So that's basically it, and I'm excited about it. So it's going to be about using those abilities to work on things. And I've actually worked on everything from traffic accidents to murders to kidnappings to missing persons. I've worked with dozens of law enforcement agencies, private investigators, families. I've done things on high-profile cases. So I feel like that is something that we can use our gifts for and help people. Um, People often will ask me, well, how come there's missing people in the world if there's psychics? How come it's, well, you know, we have to understand first off, there needs to be an invitation. We can't be ambulance chasers. I mean, we have to be invited in either by law enforcement or in specific instances, families. I primarily try to work with police investigators or law enforcement because A lot of times the families, just statistically speaking, they are involved. I mean, we just know that statistics-wise, nine out of 10 times somebody has a crime, or especially with kidnapping or murder, it's usually somebody they knew. So if I get a sense the family's involved, I don't deal with them at all. But this course will really take you through the basics, and it'll be something that you can incorporate into your practice. I love that. I can't wait. I'm excited. So now, how does what you do kind of, I want to say, interact with your relationship with Raymond? How is he with everything? And is Raymond intuitive? And so how does this kind of bounce off each other? Yeah, Raymond is really intuitive, actually. He's extremely psychic. He doesn't really do anything with it, except he channels it into his creativity and stuff. He's doing interior design and fashion. And Raymond kind of jokes about it, and I've actually joked about it before with Suzanne Northrup and her partner, Aileen. We're always joking and saying that Aileen and Raymond are going to teach a course about how to date a medium. Because there are things. I mean, I think the fundamental thing is, and I'm sure you know this, we are living in two worlds. I've had to train Raymond when we have a conversation and it's right after I worked, it's like we didn't have a conversation, you know? And he'll say to me, like, I just told you that. I said that to you yesterday. We talked about this. And I'm like, honey, I was just wrapping up a reading. I was still coming back into my body. So I don't remember that conversation at all. Then there just is truly another, we're just wired differently. And as you start to get more into this work, your wiring changes, your energy changes. It's kind of like an is what it is thing. And it's one of the things about it. I think it does take a special person to to be with somebody. And I've had a lot of clients that have had different things. You know, 
a lot of clients that have come to me and say, I want to tap into this part of myself, but my partner doesn't support this or doesn't understand this and stuff. And my answer to that by and large is, I think the hope is to have a partnership is that the person should support and love all parts of you. I think it does make a lot to do that. And, you know, Raymond and I have kind of worked through that. There has been times where he, well, I've had to cancel on a birthday party because I had to go to somebody's deathbed. Or I have canceled a vacation because I got a bad intuitive feeling about it and stuff. So I just think it's part of the, the dynamic. Interesting. And it would be really hard when you've got those clients that say that they're partner or their husband or wife or don't support them in their journey with doing this, I would think that their relationship wouldn't work. That's just my opinion because you need that support of the partner like Raymond supports you. That's my view on it is that that's pretty important. I think what it is is this. This is how I think of this. I have a close friend in my life, Steve. We've been friends for a long, long time. He doesn't believe in what I do. He just doesn't get it. He's like, I believe you help people. I believe you're great at what you do. I just don't believe that you're talking to dead people. I either think that you're making it up or you're guessing. People are telling you things or there's some trick, you know, whatever. He's like, I just don't. He can't wrap his mind around it. The thing is, though, he's extremely respectful of my work. So I think the thing is, is it's all about respect. That's important, you know. Raymond and I, with our relationship, full disclosure, he loves fashion. And I don't totally understand his need to have like 12 different coats. But he works hard. That's what he chooses to spend his extra money on. That's what his love is. He loves fashion. Why does he need, you know, 16 different wallets? Couldn't tell you. I don't get it. But at a certain level, yeah, of course, you have to respect your partner. And if they're doing what they love and they're helping people or that's a part of them, then yeah, you do have to. So I have had clients where like the husband's like, oh, that's stupid, da, 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 da. And like, it's so weird to me that somebody would stay in a relationship like that. I just don't get it. I very much agree. So with the TV show and Vegas, have you had to really be careful of the energy around you and who's around you, like who's in your circle? And have you kind of had to make that circle smaller where some it's like, okay, that's not working out with that person and I need to tighten this up? Mm, Great question. I'm sort of, it's interesting. I have always been an extroverted introvert. I've never been somebody who is super sensitive. Like I know a lot of empaths and psychics, they can't be around certain people. They can't resonate with certain people. They can't deal with certain people. I've never been that person. For me, it's actually the opposite. I kind of like the energetic chaos because it makes me feel more protected. I think for me, I've had to be more careful maybe of who's in my real inner world, but like I've always lived in big cities. I've always gone out to bars and restaurants. I've always had, I think with anything in life, and I think we're all probably reviewing this, especially with what's going on and we're sort of forced to be around certain people and our social distancing and all that stuff. I do think that it's always good to do an inventory of who's around, what the energy is. And I think that's always important. So 
that's something that I'm aware of. I think it just is one of those things where you do have to be kind of aware of your own energy in different situations. That makes a lot of sense. And I'm a lot like you with that. I can really relate to that because I can go out to someplace playing the really loud music and I enjoy it. Now, with your TV show, I know you must have some really great stories with it, like funny stories. And I know you have the best sense of humor. So with Seatbelt Psychic, like I said, it's a great, great show. You're going to love it. And there's season one and season two. Season two, it came out in 2020. Right. Season two, we shot sort of towards the end of 2019. Mm-hmm. Okay. So was it that you just literally like picked up people and did you have anybody say like, oh, hell no, and say, get me out of this car? Yeah. So basically for the show, it's exactly how you see it. They filmed me doing different events. And then when I was in these different cities, because that's something that I'd normally do anyways, we just reached out to certain places to see like, hey, Maybe there's a place of this or a restaurant or things like that. So we kind of created experiences where maybe I would pick up stuff, you know, and it's funny if we had one of my producers on here, they would crack up laughing, but they would also be like, they're used to TV where they can control everything. And for me, they couldn't. So like one example, we were in New Orleans once and of course It's TV. So they're not just following me around with a camcorder. I mean, if they want to shoot something at a restaurant, they need to get permission from the restaurant. They need to ask the restaurant. They need to code it all out. But of course, it also needs to be a real thing. They can't just have people like that are actors or something. So there's that fine line. So what we would do is a lot of times in these places is they get the cameras all set up and things like that. So that'd be all set up. And then they'd say, okay, go into this restaurant in New Orleans and just sit there for a couple hours, have a drink, have a donut or whatever they have down in New Orleans. I forget they call those benets or whatever. And just, if you pick up anything, approach that person. So, you know, there was one day where we were there and it was just like, I wasn't vibing anybody. I just didn't feel anything for anybody. So that was like four hours of time they spent setting up cameras for nothing. So with the show... Because it does have to be real, I've actually never talked about this because I think it's stupid, but I'm going to give you a little tidbit because people say the stupidest things and I feel like I'll give you a little exclusive here. So there's a crazy lady that writes blogs about psychics and she's like a lunatic. And she wrote about how there were people that had IMDB profiles that listed themselves as being on my show. So they must have been actors. And so she wrote like this whole blog about how I must have actors on my show and paid actors. And it's completely not true. The three people who probably read her blog, I don't think she has like a big following. But anyways, so this blog, somebody sent it to me and asked me, you know, do you have actors on your show? So just to put this out there, because I've never talked about it, because I didn't think I really need to, but I will say it. So first off, We do not have actors on our show. We've never had actors. I would never have actors. I would never be involved with something with actors. That would be a complete, totally against everything that I stand for and believe in, totally everything that I work so hard for in my life. I would never do a show with actors. And I don't know any psychic medium 
that's working, that's well-known, that would ever do anything like that. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Second off, if you use actors on a TV show, you need to actually put that and disclose that on the TV show. It would actually be a federal crime to not do that. So my show doesn't do that because we don't have actors. So my production company and people like that are extremely well-known in the world, like James Corden, I don't think they're going to really put themselves on their line to have actors. I mean, it's just like when you watch those, call right now, get your free hair product. And I bought my hair. You see at the bottom sometimes it says, these are paid actors because they need to be disclosed because you're presenting it like they're not. And that's whatever they do that for that infomercials or whatever. And they, you have to do that on a show. You can't just have paid actors on a show. And you can't have people acting and pretending like it's not acting and selling it like it's not. That's actually a federal crime. So no, we have not had any actors on our show. Now, what happens is, is just like on game shows or just like on a lot of reality shows, Big Brother or other shows, those are reality shows. You know, The Real Housewives of New York, Sonia Morgan, that's a real show. They follow her around and whatever happens, happens. It's not like she's acting. But people do list themselves on IMDb. And a lot of times, especially when we're in LA, that happened a few times, where they would tape the show, they'd get in my car, they were a random ride share pickup. I didn't know anything about them. They weren't casted or anything. It was just through the app. They would go, they'd get the ride after, you know, they have to sign a release when they get out of the car and they would find out, oh, I'm on this show. And we would tell them, you know, by the way, this was filmed for this show and it's going to air in such and such a month, especially in LA where you've got some actors that live here. I mean, everyone's an actor in LA. They would go and put it on their IMDb, probably because, you know, they might've been an actor or they wanted to find the show later or get a credit, but they're not listing themselves as actors. So there's no acting. The show's real. I work with the most, I mean, my production company, you know, is full well. They're kind of like uptight British people. They would never like have anything to do with anything that was fake. I mean, it's just, they're world famous TV producers. Why would they put their reputation on the line for me for a fake psychic? I mean, it doesn't even make any sense. So I love taping my show and it's been great. And yeah, there were some people that jumped out of the car and that was great too. And again, it's all real. So we don't know what's going to happen. And so many times the producers, because they're TV people, they'd be like, is there anything we could do to make it better so you can read? Because there would be times I'd pick up three or four people. I couldn't read them. They didn't want a reading. And I said, guys, the only way this show is going to work is if we just have to keep filming what happens. And spirit will lead who's supposed to be here and we'll get the right people, but we can't make it happen. So it was an interesting road. I like too, that you bring up that you couldn't read everybody. I just want to touch on that real quick too, because I've had discussions about this, about why don't we pick up some things for somebody for one person, but then a ton of stuff will come in for someone else. Right. Well, here's what I think. It's all about intention. When somebody sets up a reading and they say, I want a reading. Oh my God, I need to connect. You know, we call it need to connect intention. They're setting up a reading with Maria Verdeshi. They're coming with that intention. The problem with the TV show is those people don't have an intention to get a reading. So 
We right. have to find those people that maybe are in that place in their life and are open to that and stuff. So that's where it comes from more. And it doesn't mean everybody has dead people, but some people are not open for reading. Now, in our practices, those people would probably never come. And I have had people. And it happens, you know what happens a lot of times I get that in my practice? Somebody buys something for somebody for a gift. Oh, thank yes. Yep, and I'll have that happen a few times. Not all the time, but this person doesn't want a reading. They're not open to having a reading. And somebody's like, oh, you should have a gift, da 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 da, da. And it's like, this person's energy is not open. So the person who you're reading, now they don't have to be a believer. They can be a skeptic, but they need to have a desire to connect to spirit. And only spirit knows that. So that's basically how it works. Oh, that's perfect. Perfectly explained. Thank you for that. A lot of people ask about that. That's perfect. What other upcoming things do you have that we can talk about with everybody as we're kind of wrapping up our interview? Because I want everybody to know all of the wonderful things that you have coming up. Everything for me is over at mediumthomas.com. I've got my end of the year prediction guide for 2021. You can buy that. It's PDF. I've got some workshops coming up. You can always set up a private reading with me, mediumthomas.com. Send me an email, thomas at mediumthomas.com. So yeah, there's always things around and I love connecting with people and doing that. You can always shoot me an email, thomas at mediumthomas.com and say, hey, I got a question. You know, this is what I'm struggling with. What type of service would be good for me? I've got lots of downloadable products. I've got classes my online galleries that are coming up. So yeah, I'm pretty excited. I've got some good stuff coming up and feel ready to help people and guide people. And also Thomas John is one of the most generous people with his time. He is on Facebook quite a bit. I would say a couple times a week. You're on there giving out free messages to people. So if you're wanting a message, Thomas will be on there for like an hour. So Thomas John is extremely generous with his time also. And thank you for that. And Thomas, thank you so much for today and for doing this interview today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me as always. It was great to see you and I'll look forward to the next time we cross paths. Thank you. Alrighty, bye. Thank you for listening to Hello from the Other Side. You can connect with Maria and book a reading at mariaverdeshi.com. While you're there, be sure to join her email list and be the first to receive special offers.